0: Section 10 of G. K. Chesterton in America A Catholic Review of the Week This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org G. K. Chesterton in America A Catholic Review of the Week by G. K. Chesterton Don't There are a number of people going about today asseverating that morality should always be positive and seldom, if ever, negative. How it can be either without being both is beyond my narrow medieval mind, but it is in practice rather than in theory that the notion is generally praised. It is specifically urged in connection with education, and we are told to offer a child the affirmative ideal, and never the negative commandment commonly attached to it. Thus, we must not forbid Arthur to pull his uncle's nose. We should rather expatiate upon the beauty of the nose in its unpulled state, posed like an unplucked flower, and our eulogy should leave to be inferred the improbability of the nose, even in the most skilful hands, being molded into a fairer thing. We must refrain from telling Oswald in so many words that he is not to stay in the dining room. We must rather exclaim, in a sort of abstracted rapture, how magnificent, how magnetic is the wallpaper in the back bedroom, how impossible it must be for the ardent and young spirits to resist rushing upstairs this minute to look at it. We must not say sharply, "Gwendolen." Cease from playing the piano with the fire shovel We must merely observe In loud voice heard above the din How noble is silence Older than the gods How it would fill this chamber With its ancient absolution If by any chance Gwendolen were to leave off Playing the piano with the fire shovel I don't know whether these people Really apply their principle in such cases but this is the principle which they profess to apply. The superficial logical objection, if such people cared even about superficial logic, would presumably be that this avoidance of negation is itself a negation, a veto upon all vetoes. It amounts to saying, Thou shalt not say, shalt not, which is rather close to a contradiction in terms. Nor, as I have faintly suggested above, would the change be freer from entanglement in practice than it is in theory. A gentleman and father of a family, who had to go through life without saying the word no, would be in as hampered a state as the young lady in the song who was allowed to say nothing else. But indeed, there is a much broader objection to this kind of argument, and to many other similar modern arguments much more serious and influential than this. The truth is that this praise of the positive against the negative is not only an ignoring of justice, but it would be a very serious curtailment of liberty. Intending to be much broader than the old vetoes, it would be, in strict practice, much narrower. For the disadvantage in offering an ideal instead of a command, is that the one is compelled to choose one ideal and exclude everything else. Whereas, in the case of the command, we do, in the very act of the command, permit everything else. The uncle objects to having his nose pulled, and that has to be stopped. But it does not follow that he wants his nose praised. He may be shy about his nose, or he may be good-natured about it, and quite ready to have it painted a bright blue or he may be seriously discontented with his nose and delighted for one happy hour to wear a false one from a toy shop or it is barely possible that he may think it rude and personal to talk about his nose at all all these roads are open all these temperaments can be satisfied if once we have established the clear preliminary statement thou shalt not pull If we have to offer Oswald a positive alternative to the dining room, we can only select some other room if we are to give him a vivid and fascinating vision of it. We must urge him to go to the back bedroom, while the soul of Oswald himself may pant to be in the schoolroom, or in the pink music room, or in the coal cellar. And the whole house might have been open to that happy child if we had simply told him to clear out. If we must not denounce the noisy fire shovel, we can only praise silence and attempt to impose it. But silence is not the only alternative. Gwendolen playing the piano, not with the fire shovel, but with some other instrument, might appear a pretty and soothing influence to her elders. She might say her piece, practice her scales, or do a thousand other popular and sociable things the method would resolve itself into putting pressure on the child to do one thing, instead of leaving it free to do all things except one. I do not suggest that my distinction is to be taken universally and literally. It would not be strictly true to say that the inscription in a small tea shop, smoking prohibited, actually means that golfing, bathing, and the discharge of firearms and the game of leapfrog are not prohibited. It would be an exaggeration to say that no dogs admitted is tantamount to saying that tigers, whales, and snakes would be admitted. But such a veto, when selected, does generally mean that most other ordinary and likely things may be done. The negative command is a declaration of liberty. Anyhow, it is a boundless prairie of emancipation compared with the other theory of always offering one attractive alternative for that ties down every man at the very moment when he most needs to be decisive and personal it may be arbitrary and invidious to put your foot down but it is a vast deal more uncomfortable to keep your foot in the air the new principle of positive morality Is a mere exaggeration of negation. It is only adding an eleventh commandment, Thou shalt not command. In the old romances, it was the villain that was monotonous. In the old melodramas, it was the villain who always looked the same. His black mustache, eyeglass and cigarette were a sort of uniform of the infernal service. But the good men were all conceivable shapes and colors, and some were rather inconceivable. Don Quixote was a good man and starved himself. Mr. Pickwick was a good man and did not object to milk punch. Sam Weller was a good man and did not object to pretty housemaids. And Master of Ravenswood was a good man and got drowned. Benedict is a good man in Much Ado About Nothing. And so is the Friar in Romeo and Juliet. The old masters maintain the gayest miscellaneousness in good men by having one black stick to represent bad men. It was like the patches that their ladies put upon their complexions. The one black spot threw out and set free all the changing colors and contours of real health. But today, we are drifting to the opposite extreme. We are getting only one kind of good man, one who approves of international peace, one who is quite in favor of social reform, one who thinks there should be a minimum wage, but also a court of arbitration. Enough, you know him. And we have got around us, on the other hand, every antic and extravagance of evil men, varieties which none of the old romancers could have conceived, or would have been permitted to describe. I confess that I prefer the old time notice boards warning men off particular precipices and swamps, in what is, in other respects, a rolling and romantic land of liberty. GK Chesterton. End of section ten. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert LC.